It's Thursday, December 19th, 2019. From KLCC News, this is the Northwest Passage. The U.S. Supreme Court won't review an Idaho court's decision regarding homeless people camping on sidewalks. Lane County considers a homeless camp at the fairgrounds. New legislation would fund water systems in tribal communities. Eugene Forget starts making food in-house from local ingredients. And we consider the implications of the impeachment of President Trump for Oregon's congressional delegation. These stories and more on this week's edition of the Northwest Passage podcast. Support for the Northwest Passage comes from Columbia Bank, member FDIC. everybody. Welcome to the Northwest Passage podcast on KLCC. I'm News Director Rachel McDonald. I'm the host of Morning Edition, Ani Katz. And I'm news reporter Chris Lehman. Ani, let's start with you. What are some of the top stories this week on KLCC? So earlier this week, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that it wouldn't review an appellate decision that makes it harder for cities to keep homeless people from sleeping on the streets. The ruling by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals applies across several western states, including here in Oregon, where cities are struggling with housing issues. And just a few regional examples. In Salem this week, officials have notified dozens of people living in tents that they must leave or face criminal prosecution. Um, This could also have implications in Grants Pass, which is being sued by the Oregon Law Center. They say the city's laws systematically criminalized homelessness. The lawsuit details a series of camping citations against a homeless woman listed as a plaintiff in the case. And Rachel, you did some reporting this week on a new way that Lane County is looking at dealing with homelessness here. Well, it's really just one piece of this ongoing puzzle that officials in Lane County and Eugene Springfield are trying to solve with homelessness. So The county last week had a conversation about putting a small homeless camp at the Lane County Fairgrounds. Um, What that would look like, according to Commissioner Pat Farr, would be three Conestoga huts. These are these huts that you've possibly seen at um, Opportunity Village here in Eugene. um, They look a little bit like a prairie wagon, and they're kind of hard-shelled huts so that they're waterproof, very small, still about the size of a tent that can um, house one or two people. So this would be a very small place for three or, you know, maybe five uh, people to to have a place. The idea is that they would be well screened by community supported shelters, which runs Opportunity Village. You know that it would be, in Pat Farr's words, you know something clean and respectful of the neighborhood. The visual of this will be unlike what many people consider to be a homeless camp. In fact, it's not really a homeless camp. The visual will be uh, just three very neatly constructed living structures. Three is a good size because it's very manageable for uh, community-supported shelters and is recognizable as uh, as a small community. And they don't really take up that much space. They are about the size of a parking space. Right. Pat Farr did also mention, you know, because we talked a little bit about issues around homeless people camping along sidewalks in Eugene and areas close to downtown. And he had mentioned the, um, the Boise ruling in that there's not a lot right now that officials can do about it. Um, so we'll see how that changes. What we have determined and what's been reported and studied is that we do need 
what's called a low barrier shelter, a place where people can be asked to move if they are camping in an unsanctioned fashion on public land. So another lawsuit that happened this week in Oregon is a legal service providers filed a federal lawsuit in Portland challenging the weaponization of the U.S. immigration court system. It wants a federal judge to declare the entire court system is illegal. The lawsuit was filed in part by the Southern Poverty Law Center. It claims the Trump administration has implemented performance metrics for immigration judges, quotas, which make judges decide approximately three cases per day, essentially kind of rushing the adjudication process. Um, and other policies that the Southern Poverty Law Center is saying need to be changed um, include delaying immigration cases, creating a backlog of more than 1 million cases. So we'll follow that and continue to bring you the news. So Senators Wyden and Merkley introduced legislation to fund water systems in tribal communities. This is after thousands of Warm Springs residents spent the summer, basically three months, without access to safe tap water. Many people didn't even have running water. Now, if you kind of go with that past, like just the kitchen sink and the shower, that also means that schools were forced to close, including clinics. Firefighters didn't have water to fight fires. This is in the summer in central eastern Oregon, uh, toilets not working, cooling systems, etc. So it was a it was a really big deal. Um, the reason for the water issue is that tribal governments actually face this unique challenge when funding big infrastructure projects like water systems or roads because they don't actually have a very big tax base to secure bonds. The bill that Wyden and Merkley have introduced would increase annual funding for tribal drinking water systems by 50%, which is obviously a lot, from about $20 million a year to $30 million a year. We did a lot of reporting on the Warm Springs Reservation this summer. Um, We had that reporting from Emily Curitan out in Bend, and it was constant. We have pictures online. You can go on our website and see pictures of, since the schools were shut down, rooms were just filled with thousands and thousands of gallons of like those, uh, you know, water jugs that go into the water coolers Mm -hmm. at offices, because that's what people were using for everything this summer. And it's just so hard to imagine in this in this modern day that this could be the case. Right, right. And we all know that reservations do have a lot of trouble with many things, this being another one added to the list. Mm hmm. So our very own Karen Richards did some follow-up reporting this week because earlier this year, the Eugene School Board voted against the renewal of its Sodexo contract. This is the company that made most of 4J's food for years. 4J's 34 schools had to start making food in-house this summer. They only had like three or four months to prepare for this, which is not a lot of time. Sodexo's food was mostly unwrap and reheat. So the kitchens weren't outfitted. The staff wasn't trained in how to cook. They basically just stuck food in a microwave and put it out to the kids. So the transition is obviously complex. They had to learn how to buy the right amount of food for each school. They had to teach kitchen staff how to cook and then obviously outfit kitchens. Then this took money with more than just microwaves. So 4J's nutrition services manager, Jill Quadros, says that they've developed a five-week menu cycle and hope to build on it. This is from Karen's reporting. Um, She says they're really trying to source locally and introduce new foods to kids like purple potatoes and my personal favorite kiwi berries. In year two, we want to continue to push the envelope. We want to trailblaze even more scratch cooking, even better recipes, sourcing more locally. And Karen also has some great pictures from the reporting she did uh, at our website, klcc.org. 
And I don't know, maybe it's on my mind since I'm heading uh, north this weekend on I-5. But um, Chris, you did some reporting about uh, how In-N-Out Burger opened in Kaiser last week. Up until now, we've had two In-N-Out Burger locations in southern Oregon. I don't usually head in that direction. Um, But long lines greeted fans of the fast food chain outside of Salem, plus people that were curious about those famous burgers. Um, This is, again, their third location in Oregon. I would highly recommend skipping the fries. I know that's controversial, but the LA Times did some great reporting, I think, last year about how In-N-Out fries actually are not very good, but their burgers are great. So check it out. And with so many people from California in Oregon, it's, you know, it's a slam dunk to open that. Oh, it is. I'm surprised they didn't do it sooner. Yeah. I mean, it does make the road trip food stops a little bit more intense now. I've got to stop at Burgerville for the seasonal shakes, and I don't know where to get French (laughs) fries from, and then I'll go to In-N-Out Burger for the burgers. (laughs) Well, Chris, it's been a big week, and I think, you know, the big story, of course, is that um, President Trump was impeached this week in the House of Representatives. What do you think that means for us in Oregon? Well, it's interesting because, you know, the the congressional delegation from Oregon did not play a big role in this impeachment in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, All five of our uh, congressional uh, House of Representative members from Oregon voted uh, with their party, that is uh, the four Democrats from Oregon and the one Republican, Greg Walden. That's not terribly surprising since that largely mirrored the uh, vote in the chamber at large, which was mostly along party lines. Uh, So, it it wasn't as though that there all eyes were upon a particular member of congress from oregon who nobody led the the impeachment uh, hearings or or anything like that um, several of them did speak um i i didn't listen to the entire whatever it was 12 hours uh, on on wednesday but uh when i was tuning in i did happen to hear um suzanne bonamici and earl blumenauer um i know uh, congressman peter defazio spoke as well um, and, uh, you know, perhaps uh, uh, the others did, too, but they they weren't the headliners here. Now, all that being said, I think going into the upcoming congressional campaigns, uh, especially uh, for someone like Peter DeFazio, uh, he's going to have to talk about that, uh, or perhaps he wants to talk about it uh, during the upcoming election cycle. So uh, he's in a district that is a, a bit more uh, divided politically than some of the Portland area congressional districts. And so I'm sure that will be coming up uh, on the campaign trail quite a lot. Uh, again, he'll get a lot of support for casting that vote to impeach the president. And he'll have a lot of people who are uh, piling that on as another reason to kick him out of office after uh, three decades or so. Here's 4th District Representative Peter DeFazio speaking during the impeachment hearing in the House this week. It's clear cut. The president of the United States has violated his oath of office and betrayed the Constitution and the American people. He admitted to soliciting assistance from a foreign leader to interfere in a U.S. election and aid his political re-election campaign. That's a violation of the law, a violation of the Constitution, and a betrayal of the American people and an impeachable offense. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm sure that the congressman is well prepared to talk about that. Um, But certainly, I mean, to step back a moment even beyond Oregon, I mean, what an historic uh, moment. Uh, I mean, literally only the third time, I mean, in in the history of the United States. Now, a lot of us can remember the last time it happened because that was about 20 years ago. Uh, So it's, it's happened twice 
recently, but still only three times in the the 240-plus year history of the United States. So an historic week and also historic in the sense that uh, we're living history right now. We don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, of course, the votes don't seem to be there in the U.S. Senate, and, and I'll leave that to, you know analysis to the uh, great uh, political analysts at National Public Radio to delve into that a little bit more. But even though we don't think they have the votes in the Senate, we don't know what the process is going to be like over there, the timing of it, what the House is going to do. Uh, Earl Blumenauer, congressman from Portland, has been among those who have said maybe the House shouldn't sort of send the articles of impeachment over to the Senate right away. It, until recently, hadn't even occurred to me that that was an option. So there's a lot of things that we are learning and we are seeing unfold here. Um, at the same time, I'm sure I would share uh, with a lot of people in saying, like, maybe some of that can wait till January. Maybe we can enjoy the, the holidays here a little bit and um, set that aside for the new year, which you know, promises to be uh, quite the year, politically speaking, with with the impeachment uh, trial in the Senate as well as the elections. But uh, for now, maybe we can have a break for the holidays. I don't. I don't even know what that would sound like. I don't know what news without impeachment sounds like anymore. It's just like part of the news gas. You know? yeah. Well, and I think you know, it's you mentioned the election. I think that the impeachment hearings really have overshadowed. The um, at least the the Democratic candidates' efforts, yeah, twenty twenty. If nothing else, Chris, twenty twenty is going to be an interesting year. <laughs> we a, can we can pretty much bet on that. It's a very nice way to put it. Certainly, yeah, and we get an extra day of it too, right? It's a leap year. Oh, oh that's right. <laughs> Support for KLCC's Northwest Passage is provided by Columbia Bank. Columbia Bank team members have experience in the unique challenges of multiple industries, from healthcare to manufacturing. Learn more about their services for the business community at ColumbiaBank.com. Columbia Bank, where relationships rule, member FDIC. This is the Northwest Passage podcast from KLCC News. I'm News Director Rachel McDonald with Ani Katz and Chris Lehman. And now it's time for us to wrap up this second-to-last podcast of 2019 with a little mention of something that stuck with us this week. We'll go ahead and start with Ani. So mine is kind of impeachment adjacent. I know we're kind of all impeachment exhausted right now. One of the things I find really interesting is how um, people's fashion choices actually can make a message. So Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has many times made statements with her clothes. She wore all white to Trump's one of Trump's State of the Union speeches. She wore this kind of like very dramatic red coat that's been memed many times over to this very tense meeting with uh, Chuck Schumer and Trump and her. And so yesterday she wore a, a lapel-less black suit that was almost kind of military in design with a very high neck. So what we, we, we could see from far away, but we couldn't tell what it was, is she was wearing uh, a pin. And so people were kind of wondering, is it uh, the medical symbol? Maybe it's kind of the hand of the king from Game of Thrones. But obviously this is what the Internet's here for. The New York Times is reporting that the pin is actually uh, – the pin actually represents the mace of the United States House of Representatives, the long, blunt battle staff that has embodied the legislative branch's authority since 1789. I think that the significance of, of wearing that pin, obviously, and this was mentioned several times yesterday, is that the legislative, executive, and judicial branches are all supposed to be co-equal, you know, 
parts of the government. And so I think that I think that's probably what she was trying to say. She was making that reminder symbolically. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what do you have on your mind? Well, in the Salem area, uh, we dodged a disaster earlier this week. There were reports uh, two nights ago uh, on the the local fire scanner that some people follow and and tweet along of a a fire at a downtown uh, institution called the Book Bin. That's a, a bookstore. They have a location in Corvallis as well. And the initial reports were um, a fire. Uh, there was a, a pile of books on fire, uh, according to the scanner. There was a very large um, response by the Salem Fire Department. And uh, fortunately, this fire, they don't know quite how it started uh, in the bookstore, but there were still employees there um, on duty. And so they uh, apparently started putting out the fire, and, and the fire department showed up, and, and collectively everybody said, no, uh, here in Salem we we do not burn books. Uh, we put fires out uh, instead. Um, and so fortunately, it was a, a, a relatively minor event, but... Um, and and the store opened for business the following morning uh, and warning their customers on Twitter that you might smell some lingering smoke. So um, hopefully that is all aired out now. And uh, again, it's quite the downtown institution. It's been there uh, for as long as I can remember. They have a store cat who uh, was okay. An employee took the cat home that night. Apparently the cat hangs out in the, the store overnight, uh, probably on, on rodent control duty. Uh, but the cat uh, went home with somebody to kind of calm down after the excitement of, of the fire department showing up. And everybody's okay, and uh, it, it was not a pre-holiday uh, calamity at the book pin in downtown Salem. Chris, do they have any idea what started it? Well, you know, it's funny because it turned out to be such a minor event that, that nobody that I was aware of really did any follow-up um, news reporting on that. So I, I don't know what, what started it, and uh, hopefully they can figure that out to uh, perhaps prevent that from happening again. Well, I'm glad to hear that the cat is all right and that everyone else is okay, too. And, and the, the books. <laughs> it just makes me want to cry, all those books burning. <laughs> I'm glad they're okay. So um, Fresh Air's Terry Gross interviewed the actor Adam Driver recently, but we're never going to hear that interview uh, because he actually walked out in the middle of the interview because he apparently um, doesn't like to hear himself on tape. He doesn't like to, I guess, watch his movies. He doesn't like to hear his own voice. And Terry Gross had wanted to play this um, clip of him singing Being Alive from the musical company. It's something that's part of Driver's most recent movie, Marriage Story. You know, we've all listened to Terry Gross's interviews, and she often does play clips of actors during interviews. So it's not really extraordinary for her to do that. So, you know, maybe sounds like kind of a jerk move. Three presidents have been impeached as of as of <laughs> this week. Two people have walked out of Terry Gross interviews, Bill O'Reilly and Adam Driver. Well, actually, apparently Lou Reed stormed out of an interview after just a few oh. questions. That was in the early 2000s. And Rolling Stone founder Dan Wenner didn't like a question about magazine subscriptions. But yes, the most famous walkout, I think, so far is Bill O'Reilly, who um, hung up on Terry Gross during a 2003 interview saying that her questions were unfair. 
And if you're really a, a fresh air junkie, you might recall that uh, we all wish that Gene Simmons would have walked out during that interview. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. That was a tense one. I, I have to say, Adam Driver, I, I didn't watch Girls, but he was on Fresh Air in 2015 when he was starring on Girls. I think that's why he was kind of on. Oh, I guess also Kylo Ren, uh, starring as Kylo Ren. And it was a good interview. And this is... Uh, I didn't really know who he was, so I I I enjoyed it. So I was kind of disappointed to hear that he walked out of this one because I would have liked to have hear part two. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, on the one hand, walking out of an interview does not seem like a very mature thing to do. On the other hand, apparently he had made it clear that he didn't like to hear himself. So maybe there could have been some way to accommodate that. He took his, he actually, they did. They took his head, he, they told him to take his headphones off and he still left yeah i mean i don't like hearing myself either i will totally admit to that yeah. but like i'm not gonna walk out of an air check you know it what i mean it seems like a bit of an extreme yeah, a little prima donna <laughs> oh and i don't quite understand from a production standpoint why you couldn't just like not play the clip and then you know put it in later i mean these fresh air does not broadcast live uh so you know why couldn't you just put it in the mix later on that's yeah, true that's yeah. a good question yeah well that wraps up our podcast for the week. Thanks for joining us for the Northwest Passage. I'm Rachel McDonald. I'm Ani Katz. And I'm Chris Lehman. Bye.